This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager. Joining me, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kasten-Smith. And welcome, folks, to 2021. We are back from our our short uh, Christmas and New Year's break. We always take a couple of weeks off, uh, you know, at the end of the year to sort of recharge our batteries for the, the coming season. And uh, and it's really kind of weird, Sam, to do that and then come back for like one last episode of a series we were doing before the break. Does that feel weird to you? It feels weird to me. Very much so. It's like the Samson episode. And then we're on to Kings. Yes. So, uh, but that's what we are going to do. This is our final episode in the little series we've been doing on Judges. This is number five in the series. If you missed the previous four, well, hey, uh, it's there in the podcast index. Go back and, and pick it up. But we we can't leave Judges without talking about Samson because he is clearly the most famous of all the Judges. He's Old Testament Hercules. He's the, <laughs> he's the favorite of every middle school Bible lesson and, you know, Sunday school flannel board samson is the man when it comes to fantastical tales from the old testament so we really can't move past judges without talking about samson would you agree absolutely yeah he is he is by and he's given the most ink of all the judges yeah four chapters right yeah so we got four chapters that we're going to try to squeeze into one episode which is (laughs) (laughs) if you know mark and me this is going to be a challenge yeah i was was talking usually we can't do four verses in an hour i would agree with that we have we have a little (laughs) struggle with being long talking so uh so i tell you what why don't we do this we're we're going to let you know folks that uh that there are four chapters involved here that you're going to be we're going to be covering from judges 13 all the way through to judges 17 so 13 14 15 and 16 and absolutely please go back and read those four chapters on your own you know read through the story of samson get all the details what we're going to be looking to do is sort of hit the highlights of samson's life because there are several things through the arc of samson's story where there's just so much rich symbolism and meaning that we want to stop at those signposts and talk about them for a little bit but to begin at the beginning sam where do we start with samson yeah so samson's life is going to be broken into three major sections that we'll get to in a minute but Samson is kind of the culmination of where the whole book of Judges has been going. So if, if you've listened to other episodes, you've, you've heard us talk about this, that with every judge, there's this pattern that's built in. Um, Israel does what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. They, they start worshiping other gods. God raises up an oppressor to come, some foreign nation, whether it's the Canaanites or the Midianites or whoever. And then they begin to oppress Israel, and Israel cries out for a deliverer. And the Lord raises up a judge. You know, it, it's, we've gone through Othniel and Ehud and Gideon and, and Deborah and uh, lots of other judges. And they come and they overthrow the foreign oppressor, and then Israel enjoys peace. So there's this cyclical pattern that continually happens, and that happens in each of our lives, by the way, in different ways. So there's the cyclical pattern that happens again and again, but one of the things that's also happening throughout the book of Judges as this pattern continues to unfold again and again 
is it's also going in a downward trajectory. And so like out, out of the gates at the beginning of, of the book of Judges, you got these great judges that, that are, you know, noble. We cheer them on and we go, yeah, they're, they're, they're really good. Othniel and Ehud and Deborah, they're amazing. Then you get to Gideon and there's a shift. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that in our in episodes ago. And he <laughs> shifts and he becomes a little bit more self-absorbed. And then you get the rise of Abimelech, who's a tyrant, and Jephthah, who's the son of a prostitute and a total fool who sacrifices his daughter. And you get this picture of a downward trajectory. And even in the numbers that are associated with each of these judges, like when Othniel is fighting to liberate Israel from foreign oppressors, all the tribes are in. They're, they're all warring to get the land and to buy into the promises of God. You get to Deborah, and in her story, only two of the tribes are fighting. And then you fast forward to Gideon, and you can only find 10,000 people who want to fight, and God narrows it down to 300. And so then when you get to the judge Samson, there's no one. Mm-hmm. There's no one. And in fact, Samson breaks the pattern. So you remember the six stages. Israel does what's evil in the eyes of the Lord. Check. They do that in the days of Samson. The Lord gives them over to the hands of an, an, a foreign oppressor, which will be the Philistines in the story of Samson. Right. And typically in every other story, you'll find a verse that says something like, and Israel cried out to the Lord for deliverance. And at Samson, that stops. Hmm. There's no one who cries out to the Lord anymore. And the, the sense that you get, and you'll find this later on in the story, they're pretty happy with the yeah. Philistines. They'd rather run with the Philistines than lean upon the Lord. Yeah, I got that impression that they're like cooperating with the Philistines. Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, you'll see later in the story, they prefer the Philistines to Samson. Yeah. And that is, what does that make your mind think of? You know, a, a savior that's being given to the people and they're like, ah, we prefer to get rid of this guy. We, we'd prefer just the status quo of what we're facing. What's the famous line? We have no king but Caesar? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's that's what the Jews will say in the days of Jesus. And so um, then, so in the story of Samson, you see this pattern finally comes to its breaking point. No one is seeking after the Lord at all. Um, and even at the birth narrative, which we're going to fly through today in, in uh, Judges chapter 13, it's the Lord who comes. The Lord will go to the wife of Manoah and to Manoah, and he's like, you know, no one's been calling for me, <laughs> but, but I love you guys so much. I'm chasing after you now. And what you'll find is the wife of Manoah is, and Manoah are – you know, interesting people. They don't pray. They don't offer, you know, in other places where the Lord appears to people, they're, you know, making offerings and sacrifices and saying, oh my goodness, we're so honored and everything else. But they, you don't, you don't see that until the Lord disappears. And then they're like, oh my goodness, are we going to die? <laughs> you know, or at least Manoah <laughs> says that. But there's no real devotion here. Nobody's seeking after the Lord. You know, the wife of, even the wife of Manoah is not longing for the deliverance of Israel. You don't pick that up anywhere. Right. Um, it's entirely the Lord chasing. And by the way, that pattern that you see from Othniel, where everybody, all of Israel is in, to the last, where it's one person who's going to bring salvation, is training our minds to something. Mm-hmm. Um, one is going to come to bring salvation that the people don't even want. Mm. What does mm. that make you think of? It? That's that's our story. Yeah. We can relate a lot to the story of Samson. Yeah. So it begins with the the story of this angel of the Lord coming to Manoah and his wife, and 
what do we want to talk about from the birth narrative? What's important there? Well, the important thing is the Lord comes to the wife of Manoah, which, again, in the book of Judges, lots of females lifted up above men, interestingly. And so he goes to the wife of Manoah first, twice before he'll appear to Manoah, and she calls on the wife of Manoah to raise Samson up as what's called a Nazarite. And the word Nazar in Hebrew means to separate, Mm -hmm. and, and he is going to be separated. So when you take a Nazarite vow, it's for a season, and so he comes to the wife of Manoah and says, okay, your son has to be a Nazarite. That means he's going to be separate from all the nastiness that I see coming out of the Israelites. And so that means he can't touch dead things. He can't be defiled. He can't drink wine or strong drink. He can't cut his hair. So no razor can be on his head until the day of his death, which is different than a typical Nazarite vow. Nazarite vows were typically for a season, but for Samson, the Lord is saying, I want him set apart in all of these ways for his entire life. Mm-hmm. And so if you read that, you're expecting, oh, my goodness, this Samson, he's going to be really different. <laughs> you know, he's he's going to be all in for the Lord. And then what you find is he's horrible. <laughs> you know, he's every bit as wicked as Israel, if not more so. And it's not long before he begins breaking every single one of these vows except one, and that is – he does not let a razor come to his head. Hmm. But touching dead things, he's he's constantly killing. He's he's touching dead things all over the place. He's he's throwing feasts and parties and drinking and so like every every vow that he makes he pays no regard to. Hmm. And he's except for the hair. You know, that's the one thing. And so there's this interesting part at the end of the birth narrative where the angel of the Lord who's given this vow, you know, Manoah's out there and he's like, hey, let us make a meal for you. And, and the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Jesus, says, I don't, I don't want your meal. I want you to make an offering to the Lord. And when they make an offering to the Lord, the flame comes and devours the offering. And there's this really interesting scene where the angel of the Lord kind of dives into the offering and then ascends to heaven in the flames. Mm -hmm. And both Manoah and his wife are looking at this kind of with their jaws on the floor, um, wondering what it means. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. The Lord died. What do do you see in that? The angel of the Lord goes into the sacrifice and ascends in the flames. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's a prophetic picture of what he's going to do on the cross. He'll – become the sacrifice that is consumed in a sense and then ascend to heaven. And there's another connection too in that uh, when Manoah asks the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that when your words come true, we can honor you? The angel of the Lord responded with what? He said, why do you ask my name? Seeing that it is wonderful, Mm -hmm. which makes me think of the prophecy in Isaiah. Yeah, that the Lord's going to send you a sign. You're going to, that He's going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace. You know that that prophecy mm-hmm. from Isaiah. It's it, to me, it makes the the natural connection between the angel of the Lord appearing to Manoah and that prophecy uh, concerning Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, so chapter thirteen is kind of its own bookends, and it's the Lord coming to the wife of Manoah and Manoah saying, "Hey, like I'm bringing about a deliverer. This is what I want from you." And he's doing so unilaterally. He's chasing after Israel, though nobody's calling for him. Nobody's calling out for rescue. But our God is that kind that even when we're hard-hearted, he chases after us, which is is pretty amazing. And the other thing, too, with with Manoah and his wife – we looked at her during our our Bible Heroes series of sermons at church, mm-hmm. 
And I was doing the personal worship writing for that week for the devotional. And when I was looking at her, I thought, you know, just like you were saying, that there wasn't a situation where these were enormously devout people. But what they were is they were willing to do what the Lord told them to do. Mm -hmm. I took a little comfort from that because I felt sort of like, you know, I feel like I'm not really tuned in to like going out there and and finding what God wants me to do. And from that, I, I felt like, okay, but you know what? If I'm willing, if when if when God taps me on the forehead with a two by four like Balaam and the donkey, <laughs> if I'm willing, the Lord will still tap me and say, I need you to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the counsel I took to myself from that, one of the things was be willing. You know, because that is something that's true about them is that they were willing. When the angel of the Lord told them what to do, they did it. Now, they were supposed to raise a Nazarite from birth, and he got raised until some point after birth and then took his own way. But I'm going to assume that prior to that, when they were kind of in charge of him, um, that they probably reined him in a little bit. Uh, But then we get to the next stage of Samson's life, which I guess is the start of chapter 14, and now Samson's kind of on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing he does is he sees a girl. <laughs> Which does not go well for Samson. It does not. <laughs> he does not have good luck and love here. Because um, the girl he sees, right, is a Philistine. And that's correct. like a no-no for the, for the, for the Jews. They shouldn't yeah, may, so marry Philistines. So the idea is if the Lord is the most important thing in your life, you don't want to go get married to somebody who is making sacrifices to pagan gods, right. you know, Dagon or whoever. And so Samson chases after one of the Philistines, and he actually goes to his parents and says, hey, I saw one of these women, and I want her because she's she's what's right in my eyes, which is a big theme in Judges. People do whatever's right in their eyes and ignore what the Lord says. And his parents come and say, are you sure you don't want somebody who believes the same stuff we do? Um, and he's like, no, I want her. She's pleasing to me. And so they they do it. And there's this line that's in there that's really it's a head scratcher where it says in chapter 14, verse 4, it says that this was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And there's that makes you go, now wait a minute. You know, this is something that's ungodly. You know, Samson should not have chased after a woman of a different faith. And yet it says it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And so it's like the Lord's not responsible for Samson's choice to do that, but he's going to use. Samson's appetites and his evil um, behavior ultimately for his own cause. And there's a comfort in that too. Um, You know, that by the end of Samson's story, you see him doing, you know, terrible thing after terrible thing. He's not the moral example to lift up to your children. I'll put it that way. He's the the Charles Barkley of the Old Testament. Samson looks at you and says, (laughs) I am not a role model. Yeah, he's definitely not the role model. Um, And yet, this what this story shows is it's not the hero story that you lift up for your children. It's saying the Lord is going to be the hero, even when no one is willing to help him out. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the Lord will use even our stupidity to accomplish His means of salvation for His people. You know, this also kind of connects in a way that this aspect of it connects in a way with uh, one of my favorite verses from the book of Romans uh, that in chapter eight, there's the it's, it's a famous verse where it says the Lord works all things together for good 
Um, and that verse is often misapplied and misinterpreted to say that all things are good, that there's good in everything. Mm-hmm. And that's just a bad interpretation of that verse. The verse is speaking of God's sovereignty, saying that his eventual end, which is that we will become conformed to the image of Christ. That's what it's talking about there in chapter 8, that God is able to use everything, even the bad things, even mm-hmm. the aberrant things, even the things that are terrible on their face that we can't understand how and it's like there's no there's no way in which samson was right in what he did Mm -hmm. but god used it anyways and there's certain things that happen to us sam that are just there's no way they're a good thing they are a terrible tragedy tragedies happen and yet god will use even the tragedies even the disobediences even the bad things he can still arrange those in such a way that his eventual goal which is we would be conformed to the image of christ will eventually happen so you know a lot of times when we're caught up i think in these terrible circumstances and hey 2020 all right has been a terrible circumstance (laughs) for a lot of people there have been a lot of people that have been sick there are people that have lost friends and family members there have been just it's been such a tumultuous year the nation's been divided over politics the churches fought amongst itself and it just seems like it's been a a terrible year all year long and there's people that i know that are saying where is god in this what has god what has happened has god lost control and the answer here that we see from this story is that the lord has never lost control even when we turn away from him even when we do things that we think you know this is like our rebellion and and we're going to turn away from god god is still able to do those things to use those things to accomplish his goals. Yeah. There are biblical scholars who talk about this being one of the most dangerous periods in Israel's history because no one is discontent with being enslaved by the Philistines. You know, every other time, every other time, you know, they're like, oh my goodness, the Midianites are so hard on us. Please, please save us. Or, you know, whoever, please save us, God. We'll, We'll do anything for you. But just take this discomfort away from us and... And every one of those things, you know, their heart came back to the Lord through discomfort, not through nobility. Mm. Um, and then here, all of a sudden, the Philistines, you have the people who are like, you know what, we really don't want you. We're happy with the Philistines. We're happy in our slavery so long as our sinful ways are bringing us comfort and safety. You know what, we don't want you, God. And so the Lord has to go a back route to pick a fight with the Philistines to deliver his people from captivity, even though they're comfortable in it. Wow. And you think about how that applies to your life. I mean, when when our sins are feeding us, you know, even for a moment, you know, when we have these addictions or whatever that aren't making our lives unravel, we have no need. We don't cry out to the Lord, oh my goodness, please take away these sins. It's not until the sins bring us destruction that we cry out for the Lord. And the comfort in this story is the Lord will not give you up. He is jealous for you. Mm -hmm. He will fight for you, even when you don't want him to. (laughs) So Samson decides that this uh, Philistine woman, which he says apparently she's a good-looking yeah, lady. Uh, you know, he's like, it's right for my eyes. Um, and then his father and mother, they do what he asks, right? They they mm-hmm. get him. They arrange the marriage with Samson and this woman, right? And so as he's going down there, this is another famous story. And and just to to set this up, 
chapters 14 and 15 of Judges tell one set of stories, and then when you get to Samson and Delilah, which is much more famous in chapter 16, it's basically a repetition of these stories. The The same themes are happening. And so Samson is going down to, to meet this woman, to marry her, and he has this encounter where he's going to display his great strength, and he sees this young lion coming at him, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, which is an interesting thing. Um, and he's just filled with strength, and it says he tears the lion into pieces as one tears a young goat, which I don't know how you tear a young goat, but I'm told that in like Middle Eastern countries, they take the back legs and they can just rip the goat open um, to, to skin it. Mm. And so after this, he kills the lion, he leaves it there, doesn't tell anybody, and then when they're going down to, to meet this woman, he comes across the carcass of the lion, and it's filled with a swarm of bees, and it's filled with honey. And so he goes in and scrapes some of the honey out, and he eats it, which is against the Nazarite vow, right? He's eating out of a carcass, for Pete's sake, uh, eating it. And then he goes down and marries this woman, and they bring all these companions to the wedding. And these 30 Philistines come to him, and Samson kind of picks a fight a little bit. You know, not necessarily a fight, but he says, hey, I got a riddle for you. And if you can tell me the answer to this riddle, then I'll give you 30 linen garments, a change of clothing for all of you. But if you can't answer the riddle, then you owe me a change of garments, 30 changes of garments. They're like, we're in. Tell us your riddle. And he gives this riddle. And this is going to be an important riddle, so hang on to this. Okay. He says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Well, it's clear. You know what he's referencing. He's referencing the lion that's the eater that came something to eat, which is the honey. Out of the strong came something sweet. And so they can't answer it. And so they go to Samson's wife, this Philistine wife, and they say, hey, you'd better get this information for us or we're going to burn you and your father's house. And so under duress, in some sense, she betrays Samson. And she goes and she's like, oh, you got to tell me what the riddle is. You got to tell me the answer to the riddle. And she keeps pestering him. And eventually he gives the answer to the riddle. And then the guys all show up and they're like, we know the answer to the riddle. And they say, what's sweeter than honey? And what's stronger than a lion? And he's furious. And he knows that he's been betrayed. And so he goes down to one of the Philistine cities and kills 30 men of the town, takes all the spoil and their garments, and then he uses the garments that he stole from the guys that he kills to give to these men who showed up at his wedding. And so you get the picture like Samson, who's sleeping with foreign women, who's murdering people, he's vindictive. He is not a good man. There's no way you justify this. And one of the things that's really bizarre in this passage is it keeps saying, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him when he killed the lion. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him when he went to Ashkelon and kills these 30 men. And it's you're left going, now wait a minute. Like, did the Lord want him to kill these men who had nothing to do with this riddle, who were just kind of doing their own thing? Samson goes and kills them and takes their garments. And this is one of the, the, the interesting things is the Spirit of the Lord does not only come upon those who are believers. Mm. That's a really bizarre thing. Like people hear that and it sounds like you immediately want to say, hey, that's heresy. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's blasphemous. But, you know, I'll give you some examples. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon King Saul 
and then departs later on. Right. The Spirit of the Lord, you know, there, Jesus talks about how on the day of judgment, people will come before him on the throne and they'll say, hey, didn't we do all these miracles and cast out demons in your name? And the Lord will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, there will be people, unbelievers, performing miracles in, in Luke chapter 9 um, who don't believe in Jesus, but they're performing miracles in Jesus' name. And so the Lord does miraculous things through people that aren't necessarily godly or even believers. Mm -hmm. um, and in this case, he's using Samson to provoke this fight by which he's ultimately going to save his people. But it makes us uncomfortable that the Spirit is giving him strength to do so. What do you do with that? You know, it's interesting because it makes me think of one of my favorite movies. Uh, it was a movie that Steve Martin starred in called Leap of Faith, um, which was about a faith healer. Right. And I, he was a charlatan. It was sort of a Peter Popoff kind of guy, you know, who had, or Benny Hinn, who was having these healing things. So all just for the for the money. Mm -hmm. um, and what eventually ends up derailing this character is when he encounters the reality of God's spirit amongst these people, when he encounters true faith among the people. And then something happens at one of his shows where a genuine miracle occurs. He's rattled by that so much so that he like walks away from the show and from from his big production and stuff like that and, and goes in search of at the end of the movie, you're left with the impression that this guy is searching for the Lord. He's searching for the truth um, because all of a sudden, you know, it became real to him. Well, that was a great story to me, obviously, because it showed me that even in the midst of people who are being hucksters like that, God can still work. If, God, if the Lord chooses, mm -hmm. the Lord still can do miracles anywhere he wants to. So the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. He strikes these 30 men down. And then it says that Samson went back to his father's house in, and it says, hot anger. Now, does that mean that he sort of turned his back on the Philistines at that point, that the Philistines think, okay, well, this guy's done with us? Yeah, well, I think Samson is just always in it for himself. Kind of, and he seems um, to be—he you know, seems to be pretty angry. I, I seem to be a lot of temper going on here with him. So, what's going to happen in this is there's just this series of retaliations back and forth, right? So, so he's gone down and killed killed the Philistines. Well, then the Philistines who have taken his wife give his wife to another guy, and so Samson, in retaliation, goes and lights their grain fields on fire. Um, with foxes tied together. And then in retaliation, the Philistines come and burn Samson's ex-wife and father-in-law to death. Then in retaliation, Samson threatens that he's going to be avenged on the Philistines. And in retaliation, the Philistines go to Judah and they say, all the people of the tribe of Judah and say, hey, unless you hand over Samson, we're going to destroy you. And so this sets up this picture where Samson and the Philistines are now mortal enemies. Um, and what happens, this is a very interesting picture now. You have the men of Judah. Well, what's Judah? Judah is the tribe where Jerusalem is. It's, it's where the temple is going to be built. It's the tribe from which the kings come. Right. And now hear this. Judah agrees to betray Samson, who is the one that God is raising up as their deliverer. Judah agrees to betray Samson and hand him over to Gentiles who are oppressing their territory. Um, and so that's that's echoing, you know, it's a foreshadowing of what will ultimately happen with Jesus, you know. Uh, here God brings the Savior of the world, and you have the people of Judah and Jerusalem who say, we don't want him, we'll hand him over to you, Gentile Romans, uh, to be executed. And so Samson willingly 
allows himself to be arrested, to be handed over to these Gentiles, and then on the way, this is kind of just this is one of those wild stories that if you don't believe in in, in the supernatural nature of the Bible and God, this this story kind of makes you go, wait, what? It says Samson finds a jawbone and he slays a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. You know, his ropes, his strength, he just pulls it apart and they're like, you know, burning flax. They just, the ropes come undone. He grabs the jawbone and he kills a thousand Philistines with a jawbone, um, which is pretty amazing. Like, I was talking with my wife. Imagine killing a thousand. Just count to a thousand and imagine how many that is. Yeah. Um, it's pretty. Pretty amazing. I think it's interesting too. The answer that the guys from, or that what the guys from Judah say when they come to Samson, when they come up to him, approach him the first time, they what they said to Samson wasn't, "Hey, you know what? It's going to be bad for us now because of what?" No, no. They said, "Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us?" Mm-hmm. And and that goes to what you were saying before, which is this was not a thing of like we're afraid of the Philistines Samson you've gotten them mad at us now so we've <laughs> unwillingly we've got to cooperate no they're coming to Samson and saying hey those guys are the boss that's the yeah. those are those are our rulers I mean they and had really given themselves into this Philistine rule yeah and I don't think there was any doubt at this point that they could see that the Lord was working through Samson or that his favor was resting on Samson. Obviously not. Yeah. And there's some hope that he might be the one to bring salvation. And like you said, they, they choose the Philistines yep. versus salvation from the Lord. I think sometimes um, that's the greatest danger that faces the church is that mm-hmm. we would become comfortable. You and I have talked about this yep, before. No doubt. I think the church does better, frankly, when we're uncomfortable, when yeah. you know it's but it's, I don't, I don't want to chase after discomfort. <laughs> no, no. But at the same time, do you feel like um, complacency is the worst Absolutely. thing? Absolutely. Yeah. If our if our motivation and our prize is, are those things, protecting comfort versus advancing gospel, right. I'd prefer to keep the blessing and the comfort. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily wise to rush after suffering. No. Um, but you prize Christ above suffering. You right. prize Christ above comfort. And right. that's one of the things that humanity's terrible at. We yeah. always, you know, there's a, a famous Puritan who says, you know, um, religion begat prosperity and the daughter devoured the mother. And what he's saying is, you know, you always find at, in the most religious societies, they tend to produce prosperity. Sure. And then the prosperity devours religion and, and relationship with God. You just begin to worship and serve created things rather than the creator. I mean that's in Romans one. Right. And that's that's who we are. Yeah. You know, that's our that's our fatal one of our fatal flaws. So um, like you say, we don't chase after the discomfort, but we always choose the gospel over comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And this picture of what's going on with Samson here you know where the Lord, he's absolutely and all of his wickedness. The Lord is carrying out His purposes, um, and there's as you wrap up chapter fifteen. This is something that I've never noticed until just this morning, and and preparing this. But here you have Samson who has been handed over by the men of Judah to these foreigners. He's bound and led up. And he goes up on this hill, and later we're told that this location gets called Ramath Lahai, which means the hill of the jawbone. And so now I want you to hear this. Here's Samson, the deliverer, who's handed over by the Jews, taken up on a hill that's called the hill of the jawbone. And what does he say after, after this? He cries out and says, 
you've granted this great salvation in the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst? And so he's crying out that he's going to die, and God splits open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Now, let's step back. Here you have the hero who's on a hill of the jawbone, who is dying but gets revived, and after that Israel has peace. And it made me think, maybe this is a stretch, but there's going to be a far greater deliverer who's not on the hill of the jawbone but on a place called Golgotha, which means the hill of the skull, and he's going to cry out in thirst. But he's not going to get any merciful provision like Samson gets. Instead, he's going to die. Um, and I think the the parallels, you know, he's going to be betrayed by the men of Judah. He's going to be handed over um, to these foreigners. Unlike Samson, who's a scoundrel and and <laughs> terrible in just about every way, Jesus is perfect in every way. Mm-hmm. And even even that the, the bet that he makes with the Philistines, right? What do they What do they get if they solve that riddle? They get new garments. Um, but when it goes against Samson, he burns their grain fields. And here you have Christ on the cross who does what? He's dying on the cross to give his enemies who are putting him to death new garments mm. of righteousness for free. And he doesn't go burn grain fields. He gives himself as the bread of life. And so everything about what Samson is doing in wickedness, Christ takes, perfects in absolute righteousness and he delivers us from the hand of our enemies, which, by the way, we are his enemies, by converting us into his friends, brothers. I see you have a note here about Christ slays people with jawbones. Yeah. So I think – I can't remember who I heard this from. I think it may have been reading it in a sermon by Spurgeon. But Spurgeon sees these two as, as train tracks running alongside one another. And one of the lines that he says is, Samson slayed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. Christ slays people with jawbones, our jawbones. Like when we go and we declare the gospel, we're calling people to die. We're calling people to die to their former ways. It's, you know, we're slaying them in a sense and bringing them to this new life. And so Spurgeon makes it a point that Christ, too, as the greater hero, slays with jawbones. They're our jawbones hmm. sharing the gospel, which I think is, is pretty cool. Hmm. Hmm. So um, we come to the end of this, you know, great moment here. Samson was thirsty, and the Lord provided him with water, and he was revived. And then it says, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Um, One thought that occurs to me is the other ones were all like 40 years, right? So this is like Mm -hmm. only half the time before something happens. So it almost seems like this is definitely showing me this is the first act. You know, the the curtain has come down now on the first act of Samson's life, but we're about to see the second half of things. It also yeah, convinces you, me, by the way, as we're getting, we're getting ready to get into the story of Samson and Delilah here now, that Samson's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to say. No, he's just, he's not. He's not. The fact <laughs> is that this... This pattern repeats itself. You know, if if I had had somebody who, um, if I'd had an experience like Samson had, where this this per- person that I was married to, this person I was in love with, had wept and complained that I didn't love her until I gave her some information, and that information was immediately given to the enemy, to my enemy, and used against me, I wouldn't forget that. Um, and with, <laughs> and with Samson, it's like we're going to see what's going to happen now here with Delilah. 
I, I, you know, I read that. The, I read the story we're about to get into, and I scratch my head, and I think it not just happens one times, but multiple times. And he just is he <laughs> he's either blind to it or Samson. I'm just going to say is kind of dumb. Yeah, <laughs> it's like um, you would think that he would get that he would learn. But in a way, isn't that kind of a picture of what Israel keeps doing all through Judges, yeah. which is they're delivered and they turn away from the Lord and they're delivered and they turn away from yeah. the Lord. And we said this several times. By the third or fourth time, we'd get the point. <laughs> no, we wouldn't. We don't. <laughs> no, that's yeah. true, actually. We just keep messing up. And so, like, I was reading through this and I had the same exact thought, you know, Samson, you're an idiot. You know, what yeah. a moron. Like. But in the story, what's interesting is you have you have heard the the female, both in the case of Delilah and the lady that he was married with, who are coming and they're desperate to find the secret, right? The secret that will bring them blessing is the idea, right? And in the scriptures, Christ comes to us and he says, "Hey, I, here's the secret. <laughs> like here it is, me. I am the secret to life. I'm the pathway to blessing. Here it is. Here, here's the secret." And we have the truth, we have the answer, and we walk around in ignorance like we don't know it. Hmm. Um, and we keep chasing all the things that continually enslave us, that, that don't bring us blessing, that bring us destruction in our life, and we have the answer. So in some sense, when you compare us to this, we're, we're even dumber. <laughs> you know, We have the answer to the riddle, which, by the way, going back to that, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. What do you hear in that? Like, Because this is going to be the answer to this riddle that's about to happen that Samson doesn't even understand. It's in the death of the strong lion, sweetness comes, mm. right? Something comes to <laughs> feed others. And so Samson, the answer to Samson's riddle, by the way, is not ultimately going to be his hair. It's going to be his death that brings deliverance and his greatest act of strength. And that's pointing you to a greater Samson, who, by the way, is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who will give his life. And out of his death comes sweetness to all his people. This riddle's not only pointing to how Samson ultimately will defeat the Philistines in his death, like that lion, he's going to die, and out of his death, sweetness comes. But it's pointing to a Savior, Christ, who is the lion, who will die, and out of his death and resurrection comes sweetness to us. Mm. Uh, the promise fulfilled of the land flowing with milk and honey. Um, that is ultimately what he's going to bring. Now, just before we get into to the story with Delilah, there's this little vignette here at the start of chapter 16 where our not-a-role-model Samson <laughs> says Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. So, you know, obviously, again, not a man of high moral character. No. He sees what he wants. He goes after it pleasures of the flesh sort of thing but then what happens is that they set they set this uh, trap for him um, and that Samson it says he lay till midnight at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city mm. and the two posts and pulled them up bar and all put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron you know what? <laughs> what? What does this mean? He dragged the gates of the city to the top of a hill. So the gates in an ancient city, and this is true of, of all cultures in that region, 
the gates of the city were where you did commerce. It's where the leaders met. It's where you know supreme decisions were reached. It's basically like city hall. It's like the Capitol building. You know, when you think of them, you think that's where power is. Okay. And so the gates of a city were emblematic of the power of a city. And so when it says that he just snatches up the gates, it's basically saying that Samson all by himself overthrew the city. Without gates, a city's entirely vulnerable. And it's showing you Samson, one man, has totally torn down the gates. And by the way, that makes you think of a line that Jesus says in the New Testament, doesn't it? Where yeah. he, he talks about the church and he says you know, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell have been overthrown by Christ, just as Samson here is overthrowing the gates of the Philistine city of Gaza. He just rips them up and carries them off, and now that city is totally defeated even before it's conquered, and they're going, oh my goodness, if one guy, <laughs> one guy can take away our gates and leave us vulnerable, they know they have a problem, and so then it begins the next round of battles. And so chapter 16 is an echo, you'll see, of chapter 14 and 15. It's the same stories, just different characters and different outcomes. Uh, but it's, it's, again, it's very predictable. And yeah. Samson is not so bright. <laughs> you know, but, he, he messes it up again. But, you know, the interesting thing here is that uh, in the, the last time, in the last story, it does seem a little bit like maybe, you know, the, the wife, Sam, who's not named, Samson's right. first wife is not named, um, but you know that she may have gotten involved with Samson innocently. You know mm -hmm. that that it was a typical arranged marriage or whatever the deal was. Uh, but they kind of came to her after the fact. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, we're gonna Samson's asked us to riddle, so we're gonna come to you to get well, us they the answer. Threaten her life. They say if you don't tell us, we'll burn you and your dad. Right. So she's kind of in a bad situation. With Delilah, though. It's different. Like he, he says that he loves this woman named Delilah and the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her right from the beginning, seduce him to see where his great strength lies, how we can overpower him so that we can bind him to humble him. And then we will each give you. Now, I want you there's a, there's a thing about, oh, yeah, she got eleven hundred pieces of silver. No, that's not how I read that. I read and we will each give you. 1100 pieces of silver which the i don't know how many lords the philistines had but i'm just <laughs> going to say that they were basically telling delilah that we're going to make you a wealthy woman yeah i've never noticed that before that's a good catch i mean and, and what again his betrayal will come at the cost of pieces of silver so that, that's that should strike something in our minds again yeah judas um yeah so here you have delilah and judas are kind of being lumped in together and so she goes to work. You know, she's she's gonna <laughs> try to get this information again. The first wife needed to figure out the riddle of what is this? You know, out of the eater comes something to eat, and out of the strong comes something sweet. What's the answer to that riddle? Now the the new woman, who's not his wife, by the way, so another moral check mark for Samson. Right. She's coming to get the answer to the riddle of where does your strength come from. So she comes right in the door with that. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> Tell right. me where your great strength lies. <laughs> but well, here's the thing. <clears throat> okay, I I'm just going to say, the question that he saying <laughs> this gets me every time. In verse six, it's one thing if if you know if I'm like coming up to you and I'm like, hey Sam, tell me what makes you so strong. Big boy, let me see what makes you so strong. That's, <laughs> That's fine. But if I come to you and say, tell me what makes you so strong so I could tie you up so someone could subdue you. 
Do you it's think like that's a flag somewhere yeah. here? It's like coming home and finding your wife reading how to poison your husband. Yes. Yeah. It's well, like, suspicion should be up. Yeah. And so and Samson just answers the question. <laughs> This is a this is a healthy relationship. It is not, yeah, not a healthy relationship. So the first thing he says is bind him with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried. He'll become weak and like any other man. Um, that's a nope. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't. So he clearly doesn't trust her. Yeah. So he lies to her, and they so they do that. The lords of the Philistines bring her those seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. Is there any significance to the fact that they'd not been dried? Or is They're that just stronger. like a... It's, it's like trying to... If you find cordage that's still green, it's harder to snap or break. Because it stretches. Okay, so that's the deal. Um, so they bring her these, and she binds him, and she's got she's got dudes like in it, laying in ambush in the inner chamber. She says to Samson, "The Philistines are upon you." And Samson does his he man, you know, like shrugs off. It says that <laughs> it says that he snapped the bowstring. Says a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So, in other words, if you again now. Let's just, let me just tell you if you've ever if you've never done this if you've never like put a piece of of rope or in this case flax which is not even rope it's into a fire it's not like it breaks it's like it disappears it's like a poof it's gone it just literally burns it up so it's like he disintegrates these things off him uh, and then so the secret of his strength was not known and she comes back for another bite at the apple here <laughs> yeah. So you got the the fresh bowstrings. Then yeah. you got, and the same thing happens every time. Then it's he's like, oh no, it's new rope. She comes and cries. Oh, you've made a mockery of me. <laughs> <laughs> you tried to kill me. Anyway, if they bind me with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become weak. And then they try that, and that behold, Samson breaks them apart, snaps them like a thread. And then she comes back and says, oh my goodness, you're making a mockery of me. Tell me how you might be bound. And then he says, you know, take seven locks of my head. So you get the idea. He's got dreadlocks with a web. Fasten it tight with the pen, and I'm going to become weak. And so she has a guy do that. They, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he wakes from his sleep and pulls away the pen, the loom, and the web. And so she finally breaks down, and she pulls out the, the all-out blitz of guilt trip and how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me you've mocked me these times and you've not told me where your great strength lies and when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him his soul was vexed to death and he told her all his heart and said to her a razor's never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb which is not at all true um, but he's still holding on to this last little thing of obedience, saying, my strength is found in this last little bit of obedience. I've broken everything else. You know, I've, I'm out of, the, out of it entirely, but I've never cut my hair. And so God's favor on me is coming from my last shred of obedience to him. If hmm. my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I'll, sh- I'll become weak like any other man. And huh. so... Delilah is like, all right, I got it. And predictably, she goes to the Philistines, tells them everything, and sure enough, they come and they have a man shave off his head. And then it says she began to torment him. So she's evil to the bone. She's not just doing this for money. She's delighting in it, tormenting him. And Samson's strength leaves him. And she says the Philistines are upon you. He awakes and thinks, oh, I'm just going to shake everything off like before. But 
the spirit of the Lord, his strength that the Lord had given him, was gone. And so the Philistines grab him. They gouge out his eyes. That's a really important detail to this. Um, And they bring him down to Gaza, and they bind him with bronze shackles. And one of the reasons why it's so important that they gouge out his eyes, um, the, the Philistines were big into divination, which means like having seers, you sure. know, that would prophesy things. And they worship Shamash, like the city Beth Shamash means house of the sun god. That's a pagan name. So Shamash is the sun god, and Samson's name literally means sun. And so they would ask the sun god to give them visions to be seers. And so here's Samson, whose name literally means the sun, and he's now blind. He can't see. All, all vision is gone from him. And one of the things, they found this out. This is a nerdy archaeological nugget. But <laughs> if, you, if you wonder why the hair is so significant, it would have made a ton more sense if you lived in 11th century B.C. Philistia. Because in Philistia, they worshipped a god called Dagon, and if you were doing divination, one of the things that was required of anybody who offered up a prophecy is you had to give a sampling of your hair, fingernails, or a piece of your garment. Mm -hmm. And so then the seers would take your hair, they would do divination tests on them to see if you really had, if you really were a representative of the gods. And so imagine this, you know, here come the Philistine people who've set the trap for Samson. They, they're bringing his hair that's cut off, this guy whose name literally means son, except now he's totally blind and they've got hair, right? And everything about Samson is utterly humiliated. And in those divinations, what's the message? His God, he's not of a true God. He's humiliated. He, God has forsaken him. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Uh, this couldn't possibly be the one. And you're waiting for him to get strong again. And verse 22, it says, so he's in captivity, and they bind him up, and he's you know grinding at the mill in prison. So he's, they put him to hard labor, mm-hmm. and it says the hair of his head began to grow again. And the way that I've always understood this story is that Samson's strength came through his hair, and that's the absolute opposite of what the story's teaching. Remember, because Samson's thinking, it's my last shred of obedience. That's where my strength comes from. And then when when he gives that up, so now he has nothing to lean on. It says his hair begins to grow again. Does he get his strength back? No. No. So it's not in his hair. And it says the lords of the Philistines, they gather together, you know, they bring him to the temple of Dagon, and, you know, they're mocking him. And everybody's coming and saying, ha ha, look at him. This is the one who believed that, you know, he was favored by God. But look, we've overpowered him, and they're all mocking him. Um, And they say, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. So he became the court jester of some kind. Correct. Here's this one that struck fear into the heart of all Philistia that now is a mockery. They just laugh at him. He's, He's powerless. He's lost his strength. He has no vision. You know, and think about this. He's being led around by a young man, which means, like, naturally, he wasn't that strong. He's being led around by this young lad who's leading him by the hand. And Samson says, let me feel the pillars that are on where the house rests. And what's interesting is they've uncovered an ancient temple of Dagon, not the temple here, but in a different city. And they found that unlike typical buildings that are in Israel, 
Philistia built their temples with central pillars. Like you can go into the archaeological ruins and there's central pillars that are still there, just like this text talks about. And so he goes in between these pillars upon which all the weight of the roof is resting. And he says, let me lean against them. And it says, the house was filled with men and women. They're all mocking Samson. All the lords of the Philistines were there. On the roof, there's 3,000 men and women who are looking on, you know, laughing and giggling at Samson. And now get this. Verse 28, it says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my eyes. That's the first and time he's prayed or asked prayed. God for anything. Yeah. This is the first time prayers happened in this story. <laughs> yeah. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. So what are you picturing? Here is somebody who's his been arms are outstretched like he's on silver. a cross, right? Yeah, that's right. So here you've got Samson who's taken a cruciform position, who is giving his life. He, this is his one prayer. So where does his strength come from? Is it his hair? No, his hair started growing back. He wasn't strong yet. He has to go and he asks God, who is the source of his strength, not his hair. This isn't a goofy fairy tale. You know, <laughs> this is the Lord is his strength. And when he asks the Lord, the Lord grants him his strength, and he gives, he lays his life down so that these 3,000 most powerful people of the Philistines go with him, and Israel is delivered. Mm. Israel is going to find freedom and salvation when this Samson figure, in one moment, gives his trust and begs the Lord to intervene, and salvation comes to Israel. It's it's a wonderful picture of the Lord, and God is going to take this seemingly reprobate, terrible example, Samson, and then on the negative side of that, you've got this perfect, beautiful picture of Jesus. And what I love about this is it says there's 3,000 enemies, right? So you have 3,000 enemies that are, that are watching and, and mocking as Samson is in his misery and he stretches out his arms and he dies and he takes them with him. So he kills his enemies. And the aftermath of the cross, you know, Jesus is going to give his life at one of the most populated, you know, as Jerusalem swells with a population at Passover, all these people are coming. All of these people are watching him. They're all, you know, so many enemies making fun of Jesus and mocking him and he gives his life. And then 50 days later at Pentecost, we're told that the jawbone of Peter starts going, <laughs> you know, he preaches, <laughs> and 3,000, same number, 3,000 men of Israel who were previously the enemies of Jesus aren't killed. They're brought into salvation and made sons and daughters. Um, so how much greater is Jesus than mm -hmm. Samson? He is the one who was not wanted. He's the one who was betrayed by the people of Judah, handed over to foreigners, who went on the hill of the skull, who who gives his life not to tear down his enemies, but to win his enemies as friends. And Samson gives you this inverted picture of what is beautiful gospel. Hmm. So this story then tells us why HGTV tells reminds us that we can't remove load-bearing walls. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> I guess I'm trying to figure out what God is trying to, you know, why does he want to show me this to make this connection? Um, is it just that, hey, God can use even the most unfaithful of us or that Jesus is just the, the greater deliverer? I mean, where's the connection between them? Yeah, I, th I think it shows us 
what we're really uncomfortable admitting, which is God can save a Samson. You know, we we want to say, hey, you at least have to be this good. Oh. You, know, you know, you at least have to have this. And when the Bible comes to us and says, you know what? Salvation is entirely of the Lord. You know, if if you've come to faith, if you've come to authentic faith, then you're going to see fruit. But here, you know, the Samson's moment where he reaches out to God is followed by death. So you don't get to see the epilogue of what would have happened had he survived that and seen God's faithfulness and, you know, surrendered to him. But it's saying, like the thief on the cross, that thief has nothing to boast in except purely the mercy of God. Um, he can't get down from the cross. He can't, you know, unhinge himself to go lead a Bible study or help old ladies cross the street. I mean, he's a man who led a wicked life, who admits that he deserves to be on the cross, um, and yet the only thing he can appeal to is the mercy of God. And I think that that riddle, you know, is the echo because you know both of these stories of Samson, the the ones that happens in chapter fourteen and fifteen with the, his wife. And the riddle and how he's betrayed and everything else, it's echoed. All the same pattern happens in 16. Um, And the riddle is, and the first one is, what is the meaning of this riddle? And it's the dead lion filled with sweetness. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, it's what's the source of my strength? And I think the answer is the same, honestly. Hmm. I think it's, it's not your hair, Samson. Your strength is not your hair. Your strength is going to be found when you're at your weakest. That's when Samson finally becomes strong in ways that matter. Because prior to that, he's physically strong. He feeds his appetites. He's a train wreck. But when he loses all of his physical strength, when he loses his sight, when he loses his reputation, when he's utterly mocked, it's the first time that he becomes spiritually strong and recognizes that he only has one power. And it's at that moment that he brings about his greatest act of salvation, Hmm. which is not only for the people of Israel, but part of me wonders if this is his moment of salvation to the Lord altogether. And so his greatest strength comes when he loses all other sources of strength. Um, yeah, I mean, he is mentioned in Hebrews 11 yeah. when Paul's yeah, he's writing. Yeah, a hero of faith. I've heard you say this, and I, I love this. You said the only thing that we bring to salvation is the is that it's necessary for us the to have a sin that makes it necessary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> really, it. You know, when Jesus talks about salvation, when he talks about righteousness, when he talks about his people – you know, the Beatitudes begin with, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's mm-hmm. something about the people of God that are marked by humility. And, you know, one of the things that I think is just this really fascinating piece of this is the Philistines are trying to conquer Samson. And they look at him, you know, up in verse 5, it says, you know, they come to Delilah and they say, seduce him so that we can find where his great strength lies. Why? Because we want to overpower him so that we can bind him and humble him. Mm-hmm. There is nothing worse for the Philistines than to humble somebody that God's favors upon. <laughs> because when they humble Samson, that's when they're defeated. It, that is it's, true. It's in Samson being humbled that the Philistines are undone. And so the the true mark of a Christian, it's not about how moral you are, you know, yeah, you can tell somebody by their fruit, but the gateway virtue of all Christian virtues 
is humility. It's recognizing that salvation belongs to the Lord. I earn none of it. I don't deserve any of it. His mercy and grace is upon me, and I can't believe that it is. And now I can live a life of gratitude and security, knowing that it's not about me. It's all about him. And I'm overwhelmed at the fact that he loves me, and I want to share this amazing love that he's given to me with everyone else. It's when I'm humbled under the weight of how beautiful that he is that I become powerful in my faith. But if I look at Samson, and here's something that's hard. When you look at Samson and you say, yeah, I could see why God would want me, but why him? Ooh, you're yeah. warning, warning, yeah. warning. Like, you do not deserve your salvation. If you look at Samson and say, yeah, I, me, I understand why God would want me, but Samson, gross. What kind of God is this? You've missed the gospel or you're out of touch with it. Right. Well, why don't we let that stand as our last word then on the story of Samson and bringing to the conclusion our little series on the book of Judges here. If you would like to get in touch with us, correspond with us, our email address is outofwater at com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com. That's also where you can find all the back episodes of the Out of Water podcast at com slash outofwater. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, or on Spotify. You can find it on our Rio Vista Church smartphone app, where you can find out everything else that is going on around Rio Vista Church in Fort Lauderdale. We would love to have you connect with us and participate in the life and the body of the church. We'll be back next week, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.